Guys, among us tonight is a man who, uh, uh, a missionary guy that we have been supporting for probably 20 years. Uh, when we first met Steve, he was in, uh, he was in Taiwan. I, he moved uh, to Hong Kong, and um, the ministry of which he is a part called SALT is uh, trying to get um, leadership training materials into China. And so they go in China and, and teach the Bible to pastors over there and then come back out. And, and, and it's just been a sweet relationship for, for about 20 years. And Steve is right back there. Steve, stand up and let us at least say hello to you. <clears throat> Steve Torgensen. <clears throat> he is much older now and grizzled. Um, I love to see him gray. It makes me feel young. <laughs> Good to have you, brother. Guys, go back to Galatians chapter 5, and let me read you these three verses that we're looking at. And really, last weekend tonight um, are designed to help us get to verse 26. I've, I've told you that story before. That is, I wanted to put 26 with chapter 6, and it just wouldn't go. And then something came to light that, that made me go back and put it in chapter 5. Uh, as it is, and, and it made me want to go back and say some things to you about these three verses because they're really, in terms of the whole issue of sanctification, now we, that's a term that I think everybody knows. I hate to define it again because I think I insult you and I don't want to do that, but sanctification is everything between the time I became a Christian and when I die. It's the Christian life. It's, um, it's this uh, growing process uh, bringing me more and more into conformity with uh, the image of Christ. Okay. So these three verses are as important as any I know of concerning this whole thing about sanctification. Let me read them to you. And we're going to look at verse 20. We looked at 24 last week. And by the way, you know we won't meet next Wednesday night, the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. We don't meet. And then we come back uh, the next week, which will be the congregational meeting. You will vote. You know, that doesn't take very long. And you, you know, uh, don't you, that we will not hang around and wait for the, uh, the results of that vote. We, uh, we've changed the, the method now that we won't uh, announce the results. We will post them online. They will be up that night. They will be up as quickly as we can get them up. But my point being is once we get the vote done and uh, close out the congregational meeting, then we'll go back to Galatians 5, and, and I'm really looking forward. I mean, I am, to, to discussing with you verse 26. And that's, that's why we're doing 24 and 25, to get you ready for 26. We've never discussed 26, but we have discussed 24 and 25, did it back in May. And, and so some of what you might hear might uh, be familiar to you. All right, let me read you the three verses. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, that would be you, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We looked at that last week. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Guys, there's a whole lot more genius in that than, you, than, than I think you know, and I'm, I, I'm looking forward to showing it to you in a couple of weeks. But tonight, we have to spend our time on verse 25. Um, there's two clauses here. Uh, one is the... Um, uh, it's called an if then, you know, if we live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. That whole thing about living by the Spirit, guys, that has to do with regeneration. I think you know that. 
Uh, it is the spirit that brought you to life. It's called the rebirth. It's called born again, however you want to say it. But you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and God monergistically granted you new life uh, via the power of the Holy Spirit. He brought you back to life. He exchanged the heart of stone and replaced it with the heart of flesh. And now this spiritually dead entity now lives. Uh, so if we live by the Spirit, it's, it, it's just another of the multiple ways of saying something about if you, are, if you belong to Christ, okay? Because if you do, it's because the Holy Spirit's brought you to life. That's what this first clause is about. Um, if, you, if you live by the Spirit, that means, okay, have you been regenerated? Uh, have you been born again? Yeah, because that's what living by the Spirit is all about. Now, so if that is true... This is the second of those exhortations that I told you that we were going to look at. If you live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And that's what we want to look at tonight, or fix our attention on this walking by the Spirit thing. What is that? First of all, let me, let me um, mention very hurriedly, who is the Holy Spirit? <laughs> um, I, I hope this doesn't come to us as a surprise to many of you, but he is a, a part of the Trinity. He is just his... Uh, much deity as is the Son and the, and the Father. He's a divine person whose job it is to glorify Christ. He dwells inside of us, okay? He has taken up residence as a result of the, of the regenerative work. He starts by regenerating uh, and then takes up residence to, to finish the process of sanctifying us. Okay, so we walk by the Spirit. What does that mean, this whole walk by the Spirit? Well, first of all, guys, um, let me say this. Uh, to walk by the Spirit is more than simple obedience, but it is certainly not less than simple obedience. Um, one of the things that it means is obedience, all right? But it's this more that I want to concentrate on. Uh, my sentence is, it is more than simple obedience, but it is not less than that. Ground floor is obedience, but it's more than that. Walking by the Spirit is more than that. All right? Now, what is this more that I'm alluding to? Now, gang, if you weren't here last week, uh, some of this is going to be a little bit um, uh, odd, or the language, but we discussed this last week. We talked about uh, identifying our pseudo-Christs. <laughs> you remember that? If you don't, you can get it online. But once we've identified those things that we look to, other than Christ, to give us meaning and give us identity and make us happy and fill up our inner vacuums, once we've identified those pseudo-Christs, we have to replace them with the real Christ. All right? Um, which is easily said, now isn't it? We've identified the pseudo-Christ. I used to think that career was the thing that was going to make my life really worth living. No, that didn't work. I used to think it was um, a place at Pickwick. That was going to do it. If I just had a place at Pickwick, then it, that didn't do it either. Then I thought if I got that corner office or if I'd lost 30 pounds uh, or if my kids were Rhodes Scholars, none of it worked. They were all pseudo-Christs. So I've identified those. Now I've got to replace them with the real Christ. And that, ladies and gentlemen, I'll say it again, is, is more than an intellectual exercise, but it's not less. Um, 
there are certain things that you do have to know um, intellectually, but if that's as far as it goes, then you have not accomplished much. It's got to go to the place where it engages the heart, and that's what that's what I think it means in this walking by the Spirit thing. Well, we'll I'll tell you more. Hold on. <clears throat> Gang, what I'm saying is to replace the pseudo-Christ with the real ones, with the real one, is that we reflect on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, we reflect on that until this thing that we thought would save us loses its grip on our affections. I reflect upon the person of and the work of Christ long enough <clears throat> until this thing that has so failed me, it wouldn't fill up my vacuum. I thought it would. It didn't. It disappointed me. I'm disillusioned. So the thing that, that, that is my pseudo-Christ, I'm trying to replace it with the real one, so I reflect on him and what he did until this other thing loses its grip on my affections. To the point that Jesus Christ becomes more beautiful to me than this thing that I thought I had to have. This thing that I thought I needed if life was ever going to make any sense for me. We come to the place where we don't need to need it. Because Christ in the gospel is more beautiful. Okay? Now, again, that might sound like some highfalutin religious talk, and I want to I show you a bit more to do that. Now, remember, I just said I'm going to reflect on that until this other thing loses its grip on my affections. Okay, you got that? Keep your finger there and go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. And this is where we get really marvelously, hilariously technical. All right, guys, remember what I just said. We reflect on Christ, who he is, what he did, his person, his work, until... That becomes more beautiful than the thing that I thought I had to have. Until that thing loses its grip on my, on my affections. Now, with that in mind, follow as I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. Excuse me, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that is what is meant when the, when the, when the language is used, walk by the Spirit. I'm saying that walking by the Spirit is this, is this process of gazing. Again, um, the word that is translated beholding 
in verse 18. Um, depending on the translation that you've got, the translators have struggled to, to, um, to, 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 to translate this word. <clears throat> I like that one. Um, Kataptrizamanoi. <laughs> Okay, that's a verb. Actually, it's a participle. But the noun form, which would, uh, would stop right here and you'd put it in a little, means mirror. That is a mirror. And some of your translations has the word mirror in it. So the translators are trying to give you this sense of this noun made into a participle by that ending. They're trying to um, communicate what Paul intended when he talked about beholding. And so some of your, your translations, uh, for instance, the, uh, the New King James, beholding as in a mirror. That's the translation. The King James says, beholding as in a glass. But, but, but think of this, this mental picture of beholding as in a mirror. What's going on? We are gazing at the person and the work of Christ until the thing that I used to think I need loses its grip and the thing that I'm gazing upon becomes more beautiful than that And thus, I replace the pseudo-Christ with the real Christ. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit, ladies and gentlemen. Now, do you you get that just intellectually? Because what what I'm going to do with the rest of my time is that I want to show you how to do that. I want to show you what I think that means. Because I'm telling you verse 18 here is giving you a process, a method by which we exchange the pseudo-Christ for the real Christ. I stare at this long enough until I begin to begin to look like it. it I, I, I thought of this. Let's say I'm an artist and I'm painting a, a self-portrait. And, I, and I'm looking in a mirror to paint my self-portrait, and I'm painting, and I'm gazing at the mirror, and, and then I finish, and I look at that, and I say, well, you know, that really doesn't look like this, uh, so I really, his chin is not that pointed, and, you know, so I go back, and I, I stare some more, so I change a few things over here, and, and, and little by little, it's becoming, it's, it's really becoming to look like this. It's changing from one degree of glory into another. I stare at that long enough. I gaze at it. I fix my attention. I behold it as if I'm looking in a mirror until that becomes more beautiful than my career. Now, gang, can I show you how to do that? I, I, I'm, 
I hope this will help. Grab your Bibles or your phones. The, the spiritual people hidden here have a Bible. Um, <laughs> you technocrats, um, you have... And, 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 uh, okay. All right, guys, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. We're going to have a little Bible study, a real quick little Bible study in Matthew 8 and 9. Okay, and what I'm, what I'm trying to do is to illustrate what I mean by gazing at this long enough until that thing that I thought I had to have loses its grip on, over me. All right, are you ready? Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. You know what happens in there? Jesus cleanses a leper. Ah, a leper. You know, one of those social outcast guys. And, and, and not only that, um, did, did you notice, and Jesus, this is verse 3, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him? You don't touch a leper? Nobody touched a leper? Well, Jesus touched a leper. I mean, there was a leper, and, and you know, it's, it's, very, it's very contagious, and you don't touch it. Jesus touched it, and he, and, and, and he healed him. Okay? Then the next one, um, uh, chapter 8, verses uh, 5 through 13. There's this centurion guy. You know a centurion guy? He's a Roman. He's a Gentile. He had 100 people working for him. And he comes to Jesus and he says, listen, I've got this servant at home, and, and they're really sick, and, and, and um, uh, would you heal him? And, 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 and uh, Jesus, Jesus says, well, yeah, sure, I'll come to your house. Don't, don't, you, can only come to my, you can't come under my house. I'm not worthy for you to come under my house. Oh, it's okay. I'll heal him anyway. So he heals the Gentile servant girl. <clears throat> and then you go to... Um, um, Verse 14, chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. Uh, he goes to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law. Oh, by the way, Peter was married. Uh, sorry, Rome. But Peter was married, had a mother-in-law, and she had a fever. And so what does Jesus do? He comes in and, and, um, and uh, did, you know, gets rid of the fever. Okay, um, then, um, then you go over to chapter 8, verses um, 23. Oh, no, this is a biggie. Through verse 27. Look at what he does there. Oh, they're out in a boat and they're just, you know, just uh, floating around there in the Sea of Galilee and, and uh, this big storm comes up and they're scared to death. And Jesus, uh, you know, he's kind of, um, uh, he's not paying any attention. He's kind of asleep. And, um, and he wakes up and he says in verse 26, why are you afraid, oh, you little faith? And then, and then he, uh, he, uh, he, he rises and, and, he, and he rebukes the wind and the, and the sea and there was a great calm. And, they, and these guys say, uh, oh, what kind of guy is this? I mean, what, what, what kind of man is this that he can speak to winds and waves and they'll obey him? Uh, and then we go on uh, to verses 28 through, um, through the end of the chapter, and there's these two demon-possessed guys. And there's this big group of pigs. And, um, and the pigs, um, you know, the demons come out of these, come to Jesus and say, listen, uh, let us go in the pigs. And Jesus says, all right, they go in the pigs. And they go in the pigs and they run off the cliff and the two demonic people are healed. That's all in one chapter. But we're going to go to the second chapter. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 opens up with, oh, you know the story. It's a paralytic. 
they can't get in the house. And so, so the, the friends go, you got, you know, carrying the cot, there's one on each end of the, the, the cotton. So they go up on the roof and they take off the roof uh, tiles and they let him down in there. And, and Jesus says, uh, you know, your sins are forgiven. And they say, well, you're not supposed to say that. That's not, to, that's not for yours to say. And he said, well, it's just so that you might know that I have the authority to, to, to forgive sin on earth. Uh, 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 rise and walk. So the guy gets up and walks out. And they hate him for that. Um, and then you go uh, over to um, uh, verses 9 through 13, and Jesus um, cozies up to a tax collector. Oh, you're not supposed to be friends with those guys. They were collaborators with Rome. We hate them. Hate those people. And what did you just do? You just put him in your band of 12? Oh, my gosh. Who is this guy anyway? I mean, I mean, he eats with sinners. I've never seen, I've never, I've never known a religious leader that would do something like that. It's really stupid. I don't like that. And then you go uh, to verse uh, 14 and uh, they, they question him about some things that he's teaching. And then you get down to verse 18, uh, 9, 18. And um, this uh, a ruler, this ruler of a synagogue, this is a Jewish big shot. And look at what he does. <clears throat> he came and knelt before him. You mean the the big shot ruler knelt before Jesus? Yep, that's what happened. And he says, listen, my daughter's uh, dead or dying or something. And, and you know, my, she's back at the house and she's dead on a doornail. Would you come? But if you'll come, you know, uh, you know, she can live again. So Jesus says, sure, I'll come over. And so he, comes, he, he heads over with the, with the ruler guy. And um, on the way, this woman who has had this issue of blood, I don't know what that means, uh, for 12 years, you know, she says, if I could just, if I could just, if I could just touch, by the way, you know, if you've got that, that bleeding problem, you're unclean. You're ceremonially unclean. She's been ceremonially unclean for 12 years. If I can just touch his garment. And so, you know, she grabs all his garment. Sure enough, she's healed. Jesus stopped and said, wait a minute, who touched me? The guys say, well, you know, you got this big crowd around you. How, how do we know who touched you? We don't know who touched you. And, and by the way, you know, the ruler whose daughter's dead over at the house? Don't you know how excruciating this is? Lady, would you leave him alone? He's coming to my house. I got a dead daughter. You're a little sick. Don't slow us down. But he gets over to that house where the, where the, the ruler's daughter died and, um, and raises her from the dead. And then you come to verses 27 through uh, 31. It's two blind men. Blind. Blind as a bat. Can't see anything. But Jesus grants them, grants them vision. And then you come to 32 through 34. And when he got there, well, you got another demon-possessed man that, that uh, uh, demonstrated its demonic possession by making him a mute. He couldn't talk. Couldn't talk. So Jesus, you know, grabs a hold of the guy's tongue. I don't think he did that. But um, anyway, the guy is healed of his mutism. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to go back into the beginning of chapter 8. Stay with me. You know this story about the leper? I'm the leper. I'm the one that's got a spiritual disease that's wasting away my soul. My soul is wasting away before it. This... um. Um, 
Do these demon-possessed people? Well, that's, that's, that's me. That's me um, for the first 22 years of my life. Living based on a value system that was just make a lot of money, climb very high in Procter & Gamble and buy a boat. The man's nuts. How in the world does he think that's going to give him a decent life? And then you come to the paralytic. That, that would be me. Spiritually paralyzed. Utterly paralyzed. Um, and then this Gentile guy. The guy that was an outcast. Mm, that would be me too. And then the woman that's got this ceremonially uncleansing or is ceremonially unclean, well, that would be me. And then little girl who's dead, that's, uh, that's what I am or was spiritually dead. Um, and then blind, blind, doesn't know up from down. The only kind of value system he's got is something that has a dollar sign written all over it. And then this last guy who's mute, completely useless. It's all me. All of this is me. And did you see where the remedy came from? At every turn. The person and the work of Jesus Christ. So what I do is I sit there with Matthew 8 and I gaze at it. I behold it as I'm looking at a mirror. And I discover the great beauty of this person who, who, who we call Jesus Christ, the one who takes the ceremonially unclean and restores them. The one who touches a leper when to do that meant not only were you unclean, but it would probably get on you too. So all of my leprosy just gets all over him. And I, in the midst of seeing him deal with a world who thought tax collectors shouldn't have an opportunity to be restored, and then... He speaks to the sea and the wind and they both obey him. And then the little girl that he raises from the dead and the woman who's been sick and is penniless because of her illness. And then there's those demons that he cast out and the pigs. Wow. And then he restores sight to the blind. Do you know what that is to me? That's beautiful. 
And so I keep gazing. And I keep gazing. And I keep gazing. Until this. Until he becomes more beautiful to me than the thing that I thought I had to have if life was going to make any sense. And beholding him as in a mirror and he's changing me from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what it means to walk by the Spirit. Very frankly, I'd rather, I wish that he used the word gaze instead of walk. What does that walk in mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means I, I look at this in all of its beauty, and then eventually, the thing that I thought I had to have it lets go of my heart. I mean there are people in this room right here tonight who think that the, the one thing that you got to have is more money. That's a pseudo-Christ, ladies and gentlemen. And the only thing that's going to rid you of that is not a sermon from me on tithing. But I'll tell you what will rid you of it. Discovering the beauty of this person and what he did. Eventually, it begins to alter my affections. And, and so the picture that's being painted is beginning to look more and more like him. Oh, there's still a long way to go. But the way you get there is not by describing and announcing some more rules. You get there, ladies and gentlemen, when you discover just how beautiful he is. I defy you to go read Matthew 8 and walk away and say, you can't. You can't. I mean, just like the guys in the boat, you, 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 you step aside from Matthew 8 and you think, who is he? Who is that that did all that? In one chapter. Who is he? Well, <laughs> he's the real Christ. And I've lived 32, 22, 27, 41, 67 years of my life thinking that the pseudo-Christ was going to make me happy, and it hasn't. And so now that I know what it is, my pseudo-Christ, i got to replace it with the real one. And the only way you get that done, ladies and gentlemen, 
is by discovering the beauty of the gospel. Because there's no beauty like it. Not your money. Not your car. Not your wardrobe. Not your figure. Not your house. None of it will satisfy you. And you know that. He will. The more you gaze at the beauty of who he is and what he's done. That's what I think it means when it says walk by the Spirit. Let's go. Our Father, I, I do pray that that has been clear for your people, that they can have um, just, a, just a sweet little glimpse or taste of what is needed to, um, to get those, those substitute deities to let go of my heart. Would you, would you show them the great beauty of Christ and him crucified? That the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is grand and glorious news. It's great news. It's great news for us. And at the center of it is a person whose name is Jesus Christ. Might he become altogether lovely in our eyes. Because the only hope we have of being set free from those things that keep us in bondage is to discover more and more of who he is and what he did. Put us on that path, Father, and we'll walk by the Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.